0: Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galletti. For this special episode of Articles of Faith, we're going to be reviewing some of the talks given at the last General Conference, and in this case, it will be the October 2014 General Conference. We want to look at the conference through the eyes of an apologist. We'll share highlights from the conference with talks that we felt had a particularly apologetic value or that spoke to difficult or critical questions surrounding the LDS or Mormon faith. And joining me in this first segment is Steve Densley. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for being here. Oh, Nick. Thanks for having me. Why don't you quickly, for those that don't know who you are, say your relationship and position with FAIR, just to put that out there.
1: Well, I'm the Executive Vice President of FAIR Mormon. Which means you do What? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out, I guess. Um, Mostly what I'm doing is helping to coordinate the work of Fair Mormon uh, across all of the different uh, activities that we engage in. So, uh, you know, helping to coordinate things like the podcast, YouTube videos. One of the big things was our conference that we just had in August. Um, So uh, doing a lot to help try to uh, move the work that Fair Mormon does forward in
0: all its varieties. Excellent. So you're, you've are you got some talks picked out from this last general conference, but before we get into those and share those highlights and, and clips from the conference, you also wanted to kind of give some general impressions that you had about general conference as a whole. There seemed to be kind of some thematic elements to it.
1: Well, you know, I suppose everybody... Is impressed in different ways. I, I don't know if everyone had the same kind of impression that I did. And you know, maybe every conference we sing, we thank the O oh God for a prophet and praise to the man. But for some reason, in this conference, those two hymns seemed so much more apropos. It seemed like that so many of the messages that we were hearing this uh, session uh, of General Conference were focused on. The prophet Joseph Smith and President Monson and Latter-day Revelation in general, you know, sometimes the revelation that comes to us through the prophets and apostles, and sometimes the revelation that comes to us as individuals so that we're all prophets. Right. And uh, so, to me, that's that's what spoke most loudly. And with our work through Fair Mormon, I find that so often, you know, what we deal with a lot is the... The study part of you know, learn by study and by faith. and uh, it's it's interesting and maybe ironic that so often when people are coming to us with their questions that are based in their study of the gospel or church history or church doctrine, that often the uh, the way to cut the Gordian knot, if you will, the way the way through the um, dilemma that they're facing, is often a matter of personal revelation. You know, so we can give them uh, some of the uh, historical background, some of the context. We can talk about helping to change perspective or assumptions that people make. But when it comes down to it, somebody's testimony of the gospel has to be rooted in personal revelation and in following the direction that comes from the prophets and apostles.
0: Yeah, so we, we give a lot of information, but it's a matter of whether the Spirit attends their reception of that information, whether that becomes an answer.
1: Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting, too. You know, I, I remember reading one of the criticisms um, of some of the work that we do. We have a site called Mormon Scholars Testify. And I remember somebody getting frustrated reading through the testimonies of all of these scholars, you know, these PhDs um teach at different universities and have published uh, in, in peer-reviewed journals talking about how it is that they maintain their faith in the gospel. And the frustration that this person was expressing was, well, they're all talking about how they received personal revelation and that this is all based on feelings they had, you know, as if they expected that the scholars would – Base their testimony on logic, you know, and that there's there's an argument that you can make that convinces people that the church is true, you know. And what we do is we help people to respond to arguments against the church. We help people give, you know, f- find rational evidences to support the church. But, uh, you, you know, it's it's like Jesus told Peter that um, it's it's by virtue of revelation that we know that Jesus is the Christ. And this is the rock upon which his church is founded, is the rock of revelation. And and he later gives Peter the keys. And those keys, of course, were handed down to Joseph Smith. And we know that Thomas Monson today and the, and the prophets and apostles of the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles are the ones that hold those keys today. And uh, this is the, uh, the rock of the church. And, and, and the rock is revelation, personal revelation and revelation through prophets and apostles.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get into some of those talks, uh, some of the highlights that you have kind of presented here. Uh, What's the first one you have there that speaks to that theme? Well, I thought that, I mean, maybe starting
1: out with, uh, you know, chronologically, uh, Elder Robbins' talk about which way you face is... Elder Linji Robbins. Right. right. Um, You know, he talked about well, he he, he shared the, the, the example of when he was a, a 70, or early assignment where he was traveling with President Packer, and that President Packer reminded him that a 70 does not represent the people to the prophet, but the prophet to the people. And he said, never forget which way you face. And uh, he takes that as a stepping off point in this discussion. Now, it's been interesting to see some of the discussion about Elder Robbins' talk and how there's been, you know, some anxiety and backlash in some corners about setting up this sort of binary relationship. That sort, of You're either facing one way or the other, you know, you're either for me or against me. And, um, some people are kind of uncomfortable with that presentation that, uh, you're facing either one way or the other. And, uh, Any metaphor can be taken too far. You can, you know, find things to criticize in the metaphor. And I I think that maybe some people are reading too much into that particular metaphor. That I don't think President—I don't think uh, uh, Elder Robbins is saying that, uh, you know, that if we're facing toward God and his church, that we have to be turning our back on everyone and everything else. Um, You know, the example that he uses— is that of Jesus Christ. And, you know, he says he's the only person who never once forgot the way he faced. I do always those things that please the Father, and I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And so I think that that is the uh, key to the metaphor here, that when Elder Robbins talks about which way do we face, he's talking about are we seeking to do God's will? Now, obviously... If we're seeking to do God's will, we're not ignoring people around us. We're not um, we're not being mean, right? We're not turning our back on people. Right. Um, it's it and it's not an either or proposition. We're not either facing God um, or facing the people who are God's children, who we want to help, uh, you know. But the point is, is that uh, our orientation should be toward God in in our desires and in our motivations and. So those are the that that's what should direct our efforts, and so then as we consider the world around us and and serving others and helping others, that we do so with the idea in mind: what is the will of God? How can I find His
0: will and do it? Now, why why would we consider this an apologetic assertion? Why why do we look at this apologists and as apologists and say thank you, or this this rang true with us, or this this answered questions for people? What exactly is the core of that that makes it an apologetic talk?
1: Well, as we think about different criticisms against the church, some of these criticisms come from within the church. Uh, There are people who are uncomfortable with maybe policies or um, positions the church takes. And it seems that often the discomfort that exists with respect to uh, those policies or stands the church takes – have a lot to do with people seeking their own will. Uh, you know, what is it I want? What makes me happy? You know, what am I going to get out of this? Rather than seeking God's will and trying to find out what does God want for me. And, um, you know, it, it can be a really humbling experience. Um, I, I really also, along those lines, I liked, um, oh, I think it was Elder Iring in priesthood session. Who emphasized the the, uh, the the concept of Lord is it I? Um, no, I, I take that back. It was, it's Elder Uchtdorf, wasn't it? Um, you know, he talked about uh, you know somebody looking at uh, somebody's um, uh, yard and getting distressed about the dandelion that's in the yard, and 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 he has a whole bunch of dandelions in his own yard. As we consider the uh, the the, the uh, words of the prophets and the the counsel that we receive. It it can take a lot of humility to ask. Okay, so what do I need to do to change? You know, how how is it that I should be repenting and um, turning my heart toward God, turning to face God, rather than uh, trying to figure out what can I do to change the church to accommodate my will, and and so I think that you know, like you say, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily help to answer uh, questions of. Um, historical problems or um, you know, maybe not doctrinal problems, but sometimes the policies and positions the church takes. And we think, why is the church doing it this way? Uh, why don't they do it the way I want to do it? And you know, it may take some humility to say, not my will, but thine be done. And that may help to resolve uh, some of the Um, antagonism and um, dissent that sometimes rises up against the church.
0: Well, for me, one of the things that stood out was this idea that uh, the people that have a lot of questions and are looking for answers, or even those that we might even throw into the category of antagonistic, this talk can be kind of a self-reflection piece. It's a a chance to self-reflect and to figure out a way to put yourself in a better mindset, to put yourself in a position where, as you face the Lord and you develop uh, that testimony and living prophets, that the answers can become more readily available to you.
1: Yeah, and that metaphor of where are you facing? You know, are you facing? Where, where are you
0: looking for your answers? Yeah,
1: right. And and if you're looking to the prophet for answers, that um, things are going to go better in this life, and you know you're going to uh, find the answers more. Readily, find the answers that help bring peace and joy than you are if you're looking elsewhere. Yeah, And, you know, and along those same, I guess, along that theme, um, I really liked uh, Sister McConkie's talk as well. Um, It's entitled, Live According to the Words of the Prophets. Um, I saw this as really also responding to a lot of the anxiety and, and um, discontent that some people are having right now with the way in which the church is doing things. She engaged another analogy. Um, this time it was from uh, the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, where um, she talks about how Elijah goes to the widow and says, I need some food. And, uh, you know, I understand you're about to die, but uh, go ahead and feed me first. And um You know, Sister McConkie makes the point that the Lord gave the widow the opportunity to choose to believe and obey the words of the prophet. And then she says this.
0: In a world threatened by a famine of righteousness and spiritual starvation, we have been commanded to sustain the prophet as we give heed to uphold and affirm prophetic word, we witness that we have the faith to humbly submit to the will, the wisdom, and the timing of the Lord. We heed prophetic word even when it may seem unreasonable, inconvenient, and uncomfortable. According to the world's standards, following the prophet may be unpopular, politically incorrect, or socially unacceptable. But following the prophet— is always right.
1: So when we consider that quote and that that perspective, you know, she talks about how um, the widow of Zarephath, um, you know, obedience to Elijah saved her life and ultimately the life of her son. And that similarly, if we follow the words of the prophets, then we can be protected and preserved temporally and spiritually. She says, when we feast upon their words, we learn how to come unto Christ and live. And so, you know, there's, there's that phrase again, um, have the faith to humbly submit to the will, the wisdom, and the timing of the Lord. In other words, not my will, but thine be done. Right. And so again, um, there's that theme of, uh, you know, if you, if you want to know how it is, that you can have spiritual life then you need to humbly submit to the will of the Lord. And the key way we find out what the will of the Lord is, is through revelation through the prophets and apostles. Elder, uh, Elder Catcher, um, I think that's how you say his name. That's how they said it in conference. Okay, so he he gave a really interesting um, metaphor again. And that is of, of his, him swimming out to a sandbar and – how he uh, found himself caught in a riptide that was drawing him out to sea, you know, out to, <laughs> out to his death, and that um, he had family members following behind him. And uh, he says, you know, his wife was was falling behind. He says he felt you know, he, was, he was glad he didn't uh, have his daughter following too close behind either. Uh, you know, it might have been more uh, serious than it was, but that um, he says forces beyond my control were pulling me farther out to sea. What made matters worse was that my wife, trusting my decision, had followed me. And he likens this to being pulled out to sea, as it were, by every wind of doctrine or by false doctrines, by by things that the world may um, say that may draw us away. He says there are powerful forces in our own lives, much like the unseen currents of the ocean. These forces are real. We should never ignore them. Um, He talked about how he found himself coming to Provo, Utah, I guess because he liked to ski before he was a member of the church, and that he joined the church here, and that after he did so, he said that he started to face questions and challenges, and he said that they created doubt and uncertainty. Um, He says,
2: There were many who wanted to convince me of the error of my ways, riptides, determined to pull me away from the peaceful current that had become a wonderful source of happiness. I learned very clearly the principle there is opposition in all things, and the importance of acting for myself and not forsaking my agency to others. I asked myself, why would I turn away from that which had brought me such great comfort? As the Lord reminded Oliver Cowdery, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? My experience had been similar.
1: I think so many people who come to us at Fair Mormon with questions and concerns and problems would benefit from that perspective, that you you face issues of doubt and uncertainty, you know, what we sometimes call a faith crisis. And there are answers. There are rational explanations to these historical problems and doctrinal issues that are raised. But so often the way through is not just to help people see, you know, okay, here's a different way of looking at it. Here's some information you may not have considered, but to try to help them to draw back to what converted them in the first place. You know, it's um, like the Lord told, told Oliver Cowdery, did I did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? And so there's the personal revelation aspect of it that, that you know, roots our testimony. Um, and, you know, and so... Uh, you know, I think that that's you know when we talk about apologetics helping people you know who are in a faith
0: crisis and um, yeah it's not always about a question and answer it's about helping guide people and and help them find strength and, and faith to I don't know find their way through it themselves in some respects right
1: well yeah you know, find their way through it through personal revelation right right and and so there are the words of the prophets and and those help guide us to toward where we need to be in order to receive personal revelation, help us understand personal revelation, help us to apply it in our lives. And, but then we, we need to, to develop the self-sufficiency and the independence yeah. t- to be able to be prophets ourselves, like, you know, like Moses said, that I wish you were all prophets. And it's so interesting, too, Elder Karcher later in his talk, listen to what he says.
2: Another man I know, a one-time faithful church member, had questions regarding certain doctrine. Rather than ask Heavenly Father for answers, he chose to rely solely on secular sources for guidance. His heart turned in the wrong direction as he sought what seemed to be the honors of men. His pride may have been gratified, at least temporarily, but he was cut off from the powers of heaven.
1: Now, the thing I think is so interesting about that is, you know, he talks about this man chose to rely solely on secular sources for guidance and he was cut off from the powers of heaven now some people get upset by by these kinds of comments you know saying well he's saying that we shouldn't study and he's saying that right. we shouldn't right it
0: comes in uh, a dichotomy yeah it's either, either one or, or the other yeah right
1: right and and i don't think that's what he's saying at all he's what what he's saying is that we should not go to extremes we shouldn't right all you know go either or we shouldn't rely solely on secular sources, we also shouldn't rely solely on emotional guidance. Um, people can be led astray if they're only relying on on the feelings of their heart. Um, we should learn by study and by faith, and these these help us to calibrate our, I guess, spiritual guidance system. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Calibrate our, our celestial map, uh, so we can you know find where we actually are. The, the analogy I like is. Um, you know, a GPS system, where you know you pr- you've probably seen on your GPS system how sometimes it'll take a little while to to find the satellites. And right. I've noticed some on one of the units I have, I can push a little button, and it tells me, okay, we found one satellite, we found another one, we found another one, and and, and unless it has four satellites, then it's not going to give me the it's map. going to
0: confirm your location.
1: Right, and um, y- you know. I've often thought that that's probably a lot like us as individuals, you know, trying to seek guidance from God, where we need things like our 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 minds, you know, we need to, to, to rationally think things through. We need guidance from prophets, from, from Latter-day prophets. We need guidance from scriptures. We need guidance from the Spirit. And when all of those things are lining up, we can have a high degree of confidence that we're... Going in the right direction, but when we're out of sync somewhere, then you know that's where there's trouble, and we need to try to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I calibrate this system? How do I make sense of what I'm hearing the prophet saying? How do I, how do I line that up with what I'm reading the scriptures? What I'm feeling the Holy Ghost telling me, and uh, that's the process. I think that we yeah. need to become well. Um, practiced at in order to find our way in this life. Well, and
0: and when you look at the idea of someone being pulled out by a riptide, if you're going strictly on emotion, you're scared. And a lot of times people in those faith crises are are very scared similarly. And so I I think his his example there is very appropriate. So, all right, who's next?
1: Well, you know, staying with the water theme, (laughs) uh, Elder Ballard talked about staying in the boat, right? Right. And... um, you know, again, he he talks about going down a river and um, how you know there's a, there's another analogy here where they're uh, being told by the river guide that you need to stay in the boat, always wear your life jacket, always hold on with both hands, and always stay in the boat. He he he, he reminds us that Brigham Young used this kind of analogy as well numerous times. He he likened the boat, he called it the ship Zion, the you know the the, the the old
0: ship Zion,
1: right? So it's the, the 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 church itself is like this grand ship that we're all on, and that when you encounter storms and rough seas, that you shouldn't jump ship. You know, this reminds me of um, I can't remember who it was a few conference sessions ago that talked about how um, you know if if you are in the middle of a tornado. That's not the time to come up out of the tornado shelter. You know, you want to stay in the shelter um, when, when, when you're in the storm. And I think that that's, um, that's kind of what we're saying here. People encounter problems in their lives. There are all kinds of things that can test our faith. You know, the, the, the death of a child, physical illness, the loss of a job. You know, there are they're, they're things that we all go through. Sometimes people will, will leave their faith when they encounter these kinds of things, but not everybody does, right? right? There's a, and, and what's the difference? I mean, I think one of the differences between people who lose their faith and people who don't is that uh, you know, people who stick with the program are going to find an easier time when they encounter hardship. All of us will encounter hardship, but if we stick with the program, if we stay on the boat then we're going to have an easier time when we face those trials than we will otherwise. You know, I, I used to work with a man who was a bishop at the time. He's a stake president now. And uh, he used to come into the office and every once in a while would kind of be shaking his head after he'd been meeting with somebody and uh, just, you know, so frustrated and sad about the trouble that they were in and and the, the kind of turmoil that was in their lives. And he'd say, you know, Steve, I just, I keep telling them if you stick with the program, things are going to go better. And that's that's so often true when you when when you see things that are going wrong in people's lives yeah. that if they'd stay close to the church, if they'd stay close to the gospel, that things will go better. That's not to say that you won't have problems anyway. All of us will, but things will go better for you if you stay on the boat.
0: And in some ways, I think that that Elder Ballard's talk is a, a kind of a second side of the same coin to what Elder Robbins talked about, in, in the sense that Elder Robbins is saying, don't be so distracted or influenced by the things of the world and, and keep your focus one way. And here's Elder Ballard kind of talking about the same thing, but from a slightly different angle.
1: Well, that's a good point. You know, he talks later in his, uh, let's see, one of the great quotes, let's, uh, let's hear
3: that. Others may focus on the questions and doubts they experience. Of course, having questions and experiencing doubts are not incongruent with dedicated discipleship. Recently, the Council of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles stated, We understand that from time to time Church members will have questions about Church doctrine, history, or practice. Members are always free to ask such questions and earnestly seek greater understanding. Remember, Joseph Smith himself had questions that began the restoration. He was a seeker and, like Abraham, found the answers to life's most important questions. So the the point he brings out
1: here is that, again, we we should, which which direction are we facing? Are we facing right. toward those questions and those doubts, and those voices that uh, maybe are coming from off the boat, you know? Right. know, the uh, the siren the great and song, spacious boat. yeah, or you know the <laughs> sirens that are saying you know come be with us, and uh, you know so you jump ship, you know, or are you listening to uh, the prophets? Are you faced toward the prophets? I mean you know so to to continue the metaphor of the uh, the river rafting ship. Or the river rafting raft.
3: Um, he says, Always wear a life jacket and hold on with both hands. The words of the Lord are found in the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles and prophets. They provide us counsel and direction that when followed will act like a spiritual life jacket and will help us know how to hold on with both hands. Um, so I think you're right, Nick,
1: that um, it's it's the same theme. It's which direction are we pointing or wh- where are we getting our, wh- where are we, what are we listening to? What voices are we listening to and what are we focusing on? And then from an apologetic standpoint, when we talk about um, helping people, um, it's uh, it's interesting toward the end, he talks about bearing one another's burdens. He says,
3: to bear another's burdens includes helping, supporting, and understanding everyone, including the sick, infirm, the poor in spirit and body, the seeker and the troubled, and also other member disciples, including church leaders, who have been called by the Lord to serve for a season.
1: So sometimes when we think about bearing one another's burdens. We think about, you know, the the woman who just had a baby and we need to, you know, go cook something for her uh, or the person that's moving in and, we, you know, or moving out. Uh, so we help them out with those things. Um, I, I think it's interesting. This is the first time I've seen that phrase, you know, bearing one another's burdens used in conjunction with people who are seeking and troubled, you know, people who have questions and concerns and doubts and that one of our responsibilities to help bear burdens is a responsibility toward people who are having questions and concerns and doubts. And of course, it also, it also applies to church leaders. So when we talk about bearing one another's burdens, people who sometimes have burdens, maybe more than the rest of us in the ward, maybe you know the bishop or the Relief Society president, or... Um, the primary president, you know, who's asking us to come help out with the primary program. You know, we've got to go practice on Saturday and, you know, and then only half the primary teachers show up. You know, imagine <laughs> yeah. how that adds to the burden of the primary teacher when we do that. And so I think this is a call to all of us to, you know, not only stay on the ship, but to get to work on the ship, you know, swab the decks and, you know, yeah. put put your shoulder to the It's oar. not a cruise ship.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. So we have this idea of, you know, supporting the prophets and supporting one another. But again, it ties back to our original idea of finding continuing revelation within ourselves, um, becoming our own prophets over our own lives and being spiritually independent or self-sustaining, I suppose. So th- that moves us on to uh, President Iring's talk. Um, I believe it was from, was it the Sunday morning?
1: That sounds right. Yeah. You know... There's a great quote from that that goes along the lines that we were just talking about, and um, let's let's listen to what he said there.
4: We all know that human judgment and logical thinking will not be enough to get answers to the questions that matter most in life. We need revelation from God, and we will need just not one revelation in a time of stress, but we need a constantly renewed stream. We need not just one flash of light and comfort, but we need the continuing blessing of communication with
1: God. So that goes right along with what we've been hearing in these other talks about how important it is for us to not just rely on logic. Uh, He says it will not be enough Um, He's not saying that you shouldn't be logical and that you shouldn't use your judgment. He's saying that we also need revelation from God and not just a single revelation, that it needs to be continual. It needs to be something that we nurture and something we keep going back to. It's so interesting to me when I've talked with people who have left the church and come back that so often the thing that draws them back is not some argument you know, and it's not some you know historical aha moment where they find some document that they think, oh, well, I get it now. now you know, the church is true. It's a yearning for a connection with God that draws them back. It's it's the, um, the the sense that that God resides in this church, and you know, in the scriptures of the restoration, and in the ordinances that that are here in this church. And, and those are the things that draw people back. And so the message I think we should take from that is that those are the things that are going to keep people here. And that when we feel ourselves drifting, you know, we're, I guess on the boat or something. We're, <laughs> let's <laughs> use that metaphor. Or, or we're getting pulled by the riptide, sure. you know, away from, you know, where we need to be going. That it's so important to reestablish that spiritual connection. In order to make sense of things, Um, you know, if people go back and listen to the interview I did with Don Bradley, um, he makes that point so well that uh, when he was doing his research on the history of Joseph Smith and looking at things through a secular paradigm that... um, Because he wasn't a
0: member of the church at that
1: time, right? Oh, well, he was a member and then he left the church. right. And he said, you know, one of the reasons he left, he said, he was so focused on, you know, the, you know, in this history of Joseph Smith, he's seeing it in terms of sex, power, and um, and greed, and you know, as he interpreted things in that way and focused on them, that it was cankering to his soul. You know, it it drove the spirit from him as he as he looked at things in those terms, and um, and so. He, he became an, uh, an outright atheist. And, uh, you know, over time he said, well, that didn't really make sense to me. Um, you know, atheism, you know, is, you know, logically not supportable. And, you know, so he kind of, um, you know, drifted more toward um, a search for other kinds of spirituality, um, joined the Baha'i faith at one point, mm. began meeting with the uh, Baptists, you know, once he's in the Baha'i religion, he felt like there just wasn't enough Jesus Christ in it for him. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and that he wanted, he, he started feeling that yearning for Christ in his life. And that's why he started meeting with the Baptists. And as he did that, over time, he was reminded that the way in which he became closer to Christ than any other way was through reading the Book of Mormon. And so he started reading the Book of Mormon again. And, as he did that, he said, he started, he continued his his research on Joseph Smith and polygamy. But as he did that, as he's you know he's studying the Book of Mormon and getting closer to the spirit, he says that his his scholarly work started to become so much more productive, and he started to understand things and see things in his historical research that he hadn't seen before, and that his work as a historian was more productive as he approached Joseph Smith through eyes of faith. And, and I, I just thought that that's, that's such a good lesson to us all about how we ought to be approaching difficult issues, you know, just difficult historical issues. And, and finding and, uh, answers, yeah. Yeah, that that it's by study and by faith. Um, g- going back to Elder Iring's talk, though, I thought that there was a really great example here of how this kind of revelation is available to all of us and it's available to us in ways that help us to guide not only our own lives, but the lives of our families. And and this is, I think, a, a good example. I haven't heard anyone else talking about this. Um, but, you know, we've been looking for th- ways in which the church is maybe um, evolving and um, finding new ways to include women, for example. Uh, you know, we, we talked about how there are women praying in general conference now and uh, seated on the stand and, um, you know, different things that are being done to elevate the status of women in the church. Uh, I think that there was one here that I don't think people should lose sight of. Uh, It's such a great example. Um, Why don't we listen to what it is that he said about his mother and the example that she was to him.
4: As a young man, I would close the back door very quietly when I came home late in the evening. I had to pass my mother's bedroom on the way to mine. However quietly, I tiptoed. Just as I got to her half-open door, I would hear my name ever so quietly, Hal, come in for a moment. (laughs) I would go in and sit on the edge of her bed. The room would be dark. If you had listened, you would have thought it was only friendly talk about life. But to this day, what she said comes back to my mind with the same power I feel when I read the transcript of my patriarchal blessing. I don't know what she was asking for in prayer as she waited for me those nights. I suppose it would have been in part for my safety, but I'm sure that she prayed as a patriarch does before he gives a blessing. He prays that His words will come to the recipient as the words of God, not His. My mother's prayer for that blessing were, was answered on my head. She is in the spirit world and has been for more than 40 years. I am sure she has been exceedingly glad that I was blessed as she asked to hear in her counsel the commands of God. And I have tried to go and do as she hoped I would.
1: The thing I think is so fascinating about this vignette is that what we're talking about here is a mother speaking on behalf of God to her son, mm-hmm. just like a patriarch does. And that a mother is entitled to revelation, and a mother is entitled to speak on behalf of God to her children. And I think that that's a very important message for us to uh, to hear. N- you know, not just for the women to hear, but for all of us that that women have power and authority to speak on behalf of God. And and so I was I was really grateful to hear that message from Elder Iring in that talk. Absolutely. So Nick, going back to this theme. Of prophets and and Joseph Smith, you know, we're talking about Don Bradley and how uh, Joseph Smith, kind of you know, studying that history, shook his faith. I, I think often at Fair Mormon, uh, the questions that we get surround the history of, of joseph smith and 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 some of the things that we just we don't know a lot about, you know, things that that maybe weren't documented very well, and we can only guess and speculate about what happened. And sometimes, people lose their faith over those things that they don't know, you know? And so, right, that vacuum. Right, and I mean, one of the, thing, one of the phrases that I've heard people um, use in this regard is that they give up what they know because of something they don't know. So that, that is a, a common problem, and Elder Anderson took that, took that on directly. The whole talk is about Joseph Smith and how central Joseph Smith is to a testimony of the church, he says,
5: The importance of Joseph's work requires more than intellectual consideration. It requires that we, like Joseph, ask of God. Spiritual questions deserve spiritual answers from God. So there again, we have that, that,
1: that response that if we have trouble or questions or doubts, that it takes more than—now, he doesn't say that we, you know, throw out the intellectual consideration and we we just don't, you know, don't study, but it takes more than that. It requires spiritual answers from God. And he goes on to say,
5: We are especially saddened when someone who once revered Joseph retreats from his or her conviction and then maligns the prophet— Studying the church through the eyes of its defectors, Elder Neal A. Maxwell once said, is like interviewing Judas to understand Jesus. Defectors always tell us more about themselves than about that from which they have departed. You know, and that's something
1: we find a lot, too. Um, It's quite biting in some respects. Well, it it is. I I, I like how direct he is about that. Sure. Because, um, you know... So often we hear people say, you know, I've, I've been reading about Joseph Smith and I've been reading from members of the church about these issues. And and, and often what we find when they say they've been studying from members of the church is it's dissident members of the church, people who are on their way out, right. you know, who are making arguments against Joseph Smith and uh, are not interested in helping to build up Joseph Smith as a prophet and you know and so uh, elder anderson says how
5: should we respond to a sincere inquirer who can who is concerned about negative comments he or she has heard or read about the prophet joseph smith of course we always welcome honest and genuine questions to questions about joseph's character we might share the words of thousands who knew him personally and who gave their lives for the work he helped establish. John Taylor, who was shot four times by the mob that killed Joseph, would later declare, I testify before God, angels, and men, that Joseph was a good, honorable, and virtuous man, and that his private and public character was unimpeachable, and that he lived and died as a man of God. We might remind the sincere inquirer that internet information does not have a truth filter. Some information, no matter how convincing, is simply not true.
1: You know, and so again, this is exactly what we're dealing with at Fair Mormon. We're dealing with people who have found something on the internet uh, or somebody's given them something they found on the internet. And, and they're saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. The church must not be true." Often we're finding that the information isn't true that they're getting, or that they're looking at it with uh, incorrect assumptions about uh, prophetic, uh, the prophetic calling and, and prophetic fallibility and presentism. and
0: uh, well, there's a context that, that you need to have with Joseph Smith. You can't isolate one critique and understand it
1: right well and there's also there are also those holes in history that we talked about you know how so often uh for example with polygamy uh we don't have i don't think there's anything we have documented from joseph smith himself about polygamy um other than section 132 right um Mm -hmm. i always get that one mixed up so we have section 132 uh, aside from that, we don't have any journal entries. We don't have any letters. Uh, we have to piece together things often from years after the fact, and and so and, and sometimes from his enemies, and and so you'll have people finding things that have been written by enemies of Joseph Smith about polygamy that they take as fact, you know, and and true history, and you know, and so sometimes we have to try to filter that out, you know. We have <laughs> we need to try to find reliable information to be that truth filter on uh, the stuff that people sometimes get on the internet in addition to that elder anderson cites the example of people who left the church um, after reading some of mark hoffman's forgeries like the salamander letter and you know some of these forgeries would come out and people would say oh well, that's it the church must not be true and, and they would leave and uh, he says <laughs> they left too soon uh, they if they would have held on, they would have recognized that, uh, that that these were deceptions and these were not true. That reminds me of a story I heard from um, a, a former Area 70, Robert White. Uh, I think he was uh, stake president at the time that uh, the Salamander letter came out, and he said that I think he said one of his counselors brought him a news article about the Salamander letter. And said, "What do, you know? What are we supposed to make of this? What's going on?" And he said, "Well, it's a forgery." And he said, Just "Outright, yeah." He said, "Well, Why do you know it's a forgery?" And he said, "Well, because if that's true, if it's a, if it's not a forgery, then the church would be false. And since the church is true, that must be a forgery."
0: <laughs> that's pretty bold.
1: Yeah. Now. Um, you know, there there were people who didn't feel like they had to leave the church, even though they thought it was an authentic document at the time. So I don't know that everybody necessarily has to come to the conclusion that the church has to be false that the Salamander letter uh, was authentic. But um, the, I think the point here that's that's so valuable is that uh, you know President White at the time had a testimony that did not depend upon historical documents it was a testimony that came through revelation and so then when there was something that didn't line up with what he knew to be true through revelation he was uh, you know willing to to test that information against the revelation you know to see if it was true so it's like i said trying to line things up to see you know does uh, the historical information line up with what the prophets are saying with what the scriptures are saying and what i'm receiving through personal revelation myself. And if it doesn't all line up, then we need to be really skeptical about about whether or not it's true. And so um, Elder Anderson tells us that, you know, if you want to know, you know, how, how, how do you answer that question of whether or not Joseph Smith really was a prophet? He quotes Jesus who says, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Uh, the Book of Mormon itself is one of the most important fruits, I think, of the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith. But this church itself, I mean, the, you know, everything that fl- that flowed out of the restoration, I think, is, is one of the fruits. Um, but uh, he says, these explanations are convincing, but the sincere inquirer should not rely on them exclusively to settle his or her search for truth. So, you know, sometimes we might tell people, you know, stay with the church because it's good. You know, it'll be good for your kids. It'll be good for your marriage. And those are good reasons. You know, those are good reasons to stay with the church, but they're not enough. They're not going right. to sustain people in the long term. They need to have the revelation uh, to undergird the, the experience of the um, practical effects of the gospel, the pragmatism um, that's here. So we'll listen to them.
5: A testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith can come differently to each of us. It may come as we kneel in prayer, asking God to confirm that He was a true prophet. It may come as you read the prophet's account of the first vision. A testimony may distill upon your soul as you read the Book of Mormon again and again. It may come as you bear your own testimony of the prophet or as you stand in the temple and realize that through Joseph Smith, the holy sealing power was restored to the earth. With faith and real intent, your testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith will strengthen. The constant water balloon volleys from the sidelines may occasionally get you wet, but they need never, never extinguish your burning fire of faith.
1: And so again, the way that you gain a testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith is by the fruits— but then also through prayer, through reading uh, his his testimony, going to the temple—you um, know it, it, these these things that help bring us personal revelation. Those are the things that can undergird our faith and, and serve as the foundation. Uh, reminds me of another of the songs that uh, really impressed me from conference: how firm a foundation, right? You know that um, that the firm foundation is. The testimony of Jesus Christ, um, and and that we're led today by prophets and apostles. So one of the other big issues right now is uh, the 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 capability of President Monson to lead the church as a prophet today. Um, he's getting older. I mean, you know, no, no matter what you maybe think about um, you know his health and, and where he is, you know. We know he is getting older. And as people get old, they begin to become infirm and and they, they, they aren't able to do things like they once were. And and so I think that it's so significant that these men who work so closely with President Monson testify of his prophetic calling. And Elder Nelson gave a whole talk about this.
0: Well, a lot of other guys alluded to it too. I mean it was it may may not have captured their entire talk like Elder Nelson. But there were a lot of people that kept referring to Thomas Monson as the prophet and that he is still the leader and, and a sound leader at that. So, Right.
1: And, uh, you know, so we heard that, I think, from uh, Elder Eyring, um, mm-hmm. you know, that testified specifically that President Monson's leading this church. You know, and there are lots of ways in which we can see that, uh, you know, that the President Monson is the one that's supposed to be there. And uh, Elder Nelson starts out with this, saying that he's, he's the one who he, he went through the process that we have um, established in the latter days for somebody to be ordained the prophet. He, he quoted the Doctrine and Covenants, where it says, it shall be given it shall, it shall not be given to anyone to go forth to preach my gospel or build up my church except he be ordained by someone who has authority and is known to the church that he has authority and has been regularly ordained by the heads of the church. And so President Monson has been ordained by the people who had the authority from God to ordain prophets, you know, the president of the church. Um, he's the one that's been given that authority. Um, I just wrote a blog post on this. Uh, that people can find at the Fair Mormon blog. Um, it's called, Would God Authorize His Prophets to Make Mistakes? Right. And it talks about how it is that we can have confidence that the church is in good hands uh, by virtue of the fact that the people who are called are called by people who have authority and uh, that it's it's a matter of delegation of responsibility. It's agency through Um, Jesus Christ, and that when these men act by virtue of that delegation of authority, that God honors their actions and won't let the church go off the rails. You know, sometimes they make mistakes. There there are, um, uh, you know, like I said, as as people get older, um, you know, sometimes they're not able to function as well. As, as they once did. And, and it's so interesting. I, I never noticed this before, um, you know, but as this has become more prominent, um, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic that we have this statement. From last year, President Monson, he addressed this in the church news. He put out a statement uh, once he had been five years in the office. And, and this is what he said. Age eventually takes its toll on all of us. However, we join our voices with King Benjamin who said, I am like as yourselves, subject to all manner of infirmities in body and mind, yet I have been chosen and consecrated by my father and have been kept and preserved by his matchless power to serve you with all the might, mind, and strength which the Lord hath granted me. President Monson continued, Despite any health challenges that may come to us, despite any weakness in body or mind, we serve to the best of our ability, I assure you that the church is in good hands. The system set up for the council of the first presidency and quorum of the 12 apostles assures us that it will always be in good hands and that come what may, there is no need to worry or to fear. Our savior, Jesus Christ, whom we follow, whom we worship and whom we serve is ever at the helm. So the point that President Monson made last year is that he is called by those who have authority to call the prophet, you know, that when the, when the quorum assembles to choose the next prophet and set him apart to lead the church, um, he, he went through that process. He was accepted by the church by virtue of common consent. Um, he's the guy. And that uh, if there are health challenges by, you know, any, any weakness in body or mind— He does what he can, he does his best, and then there's a system set up. There's a first presidency, there's a quorum of the first presidency. There's a safety net. Yeah, and it functions despite any kinds of inabilities that the prophet may have. And there's a quorum of the twelve apostles. And, you know, these quorums continue to function despite any kind of inability of any member of the quorum of the first presidency or quorum of the twelve to function. And so the church is in good hands regardless and, you know, these are not uh, issues that the church is shying away from. Um, you know, President Monson himself addressed it directly last year. And, um, you know, and so—, so This is a second
0: witness. Yeah. In it, a way.
1: It isn't, it, isn't it interesting how that works is that, you know, we have President Monson himself and then President Ballard reminding us of what President Monson said and 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 bearing testimony that things— are in good hands and and the work is still moving forward. Don't jump out of the boat, right? (laughs) Right, right. You know, and one of the best examples maybe of modern, maybe modern prophecy or or the fact that the, the prophets and apostles today are inspired and that when we listen to conference that we are hearing timely inspired advice and counsel and information is Elder Oaks' talk where on Saturday... Elder Oaks talked to us about loving others and living with differences. Uh, he talked about how important it is for us to stand up for what is right, stand up for what we believe in, um, don't back down from the truth, but that uh, when, when the law goes against us, that, you know, we should be uh, civil and respectful, uh, We honor and sustain the law, and that we need to be kind to one another. He, he specifically said uh, the following.
6: When our positions do not prevail, we should accept unfavorable results graciously and practice civility with our adversaries. In any event, we should be persons of goodwill toward all, rejecting persecution of any kind, including persecution based on race, ethnicity, Religious belief or non-belief, and differences in sexual orientation.
1: Yeah, Elder Oaks didn't mince any words. He's talking about gay marriage. Right. And it's it's just so amazing, isn't it, that two days after he he gave this counsel to the church, the United States Supreme Court decided to allow gay marriage to become legal in in a number of states—
0: they didn't make it that's not entirely correct right they just didn't hear the case
1: no they decided to allow it to become legal in the the sense that they didn't hear the cases because by virtue of not taking the case up and striking those decisions down they've allowed those decisions to remain the law in those jurisdictions so today in Utah where Elder Oaks was giving this this talk gay marriage is legal Now, it may be that there will be a circuit court opinion that uh, will come down that will create a split in the federal circuit courts. And if that happens, it becomes more likely that the United States Supreme Court will review the decision. And maybe it'll go a different direction at that point. But at this point, what President Oaks is telling us is that we should not back down from things that we believe are true – In other words, specifically, he says,
6: In dedicated spaces, like temples, houses of worship, and our own homes, we should teach the truth and the commandments plainly and thoroughly as we understand them from the plan of salvation revealed in the restored gospel. Our right to do so is protected by constitutional guarantees of freedom of speech and religion as well as by the privacy that is honored even in countries without formal constitutional guarantees. In public, what religious persons say and do involves other considerations. The free exercise of religion covers most public actions, but it is subject to qualifications necessary to accommodate the beliefs and practices of others. Laws can prohibit behavior that is generally recognized as wrong or unacceptable, like sexual exploitation and violence or other terrorist behavior, even when done by extremists in the name of religion. Less grievous behaviors, even though unacceptable to some believers, may simply need to be endured if legalized by what a Book of Mormon prophet called the voice of the people.
1: So here we are now where there is certain behavior that is legalized by the voice of the people. And Elder Oaks is saying that in our churches, um, among our families, in our homes, that in we our temples. in our temples, that we continue to teach. For example, that um, eternal families consist of mothers and fathers and their children. But then he says we should be wise in explaining and pursuing our positions and exercising our influence publicly and that uh, we need to be civil, we need to be kind. And, and it's so interesting too, one of the specific groups that he says that we need to extend goodwill to are those who have differences in sexual orientation. And, and so I, I see this as very wise and timely counsel that, you know, Elder Oaks was able to anticipate that um, we're going to have this kind of of conflict in our society, and that as members of the church that we need to do what we can to both maintain our position that's based upon revelation and stay on the ship, that stay on the ship, but then we also need to be able to work with others, embrace others, because you know if we if we can't do that, we can't help convert others, can we? And we can't we can't exist together in in a civil society if we're not willing to um, to, to to put some of these differences aside. When like he says that uh, the voice of the people establishes something that um, we may not agree with, that we need to maintain our principles, but also maintain civility and respect for one another.
0: In some respects, this actually can be instructions for. Those of us who do seek to defend the church online, right? Because yeah, absolutely. We're going to have our differences with people.
1: Yeah, it's it's more it, in a broad context. It's applicable to us as well that um, as we try to reach out to others and help them understand our position and our viewpoint, that we should do so with civility and kindness and patience. And love unfeigned, you know, that uh, no power influence can be maintained except that we exercise
0: those kinds of traits. Yeah. Well, we could probably go for hours on It on was a conference. great conference. There, conference. Was, there was
1: so much there.
0: So thank you for going through these talks and finding these great quotes and sharing your thoughts with us. And uh, we want to encourage people to, of course, go to the LDS.org website and find conference talks there. This episode can be found at blog.fairmormon.org for those of you that uh, listen through iTunes or Stitcher or other apps. And so please come to the blog and check out all the links that we have presented there that are attached to this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galletti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at baremormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.